You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz. Tony Duchesne here, and welcome to Drinks with Tony. This week on the show, we have Jordan A. Rothaker. He's the author of The Pit and No Other Stories. In this show, we discuss a writer's relationship with the muse, how to explain storytelling to five-year-olds while watching The Office, and why, when we have sex dreams, do they end way too early? Hello, this is Jordan Rothacker, and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Jordan A. Rothacker. He's the author of The Pit and No Other Stories. Jordan, how are you? <clears throat> doing well, doing well. How are you, Tony? I'm good. We were just... We were just chatting about the muse and how sometimes how sometimes we gotta let let it lead us. Mm-hmm. How do we yep. get that though? It's it's so hard to get that uh that balance because we're mm-hmm. chasing it, right? Isn't, isn't yep. it like we are chasing it more than we? Uh... Yeah, I mean you've got you've got the uh, what's the thirty eight special line? Hold on loosely, but don't let go. <laughs> <laughs> who knew those guys would be philosophers <laughs> yeah i mean the, the other two i was going to go to other than 38 special was of course you've got you've got nietzsche who like talks about like full full busted aletheia truth that he's i think he's about like you know you, you've got to pounce upon her you've got to you know tackle truth and make truth your own in his bombastic nietzschean way and i'm pretty sure that that heidegger takes the opposite end and he does the whole You've got to court Aletheia. You've got to court truth. You've got to you got to hold back and let her reveal herself to you. You've got to have this dynamic of like, of like you know, holding on loosely, you know, but not letting go. So you've got the total, you know, playing hard to get is the Heidegger, and the the full pouncing upon truth is is the Nietzschean. And I get there's probably a need for both of that at different times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, maybe that's what it is. Yeah, and thirty eight special right there. Hold on loosely, but don't let go. <laughs> well, if you cling too tightly, you're gonna lose control. <laughs> That's as far as I remember. I just re- I just remember they looked like guys that could beat the crap out of me. <laughs> but but probably could. I mean, I don't know. But I mean, I feel like there was this just that general look, right? That everyone had to be. Like, you know, Molly Hatchet had that one cover where they're all like in like the the barbarian, like Conan looking, you know, like heavy metal Vargas kind of stuff in a way, you know, with battle axes. But they might just be in like hairy dudes, you know? Like, right. They don't right. necessarily have to be tough. They just were hairy, right? I mean. Yeah. No. And then and then now that I'm hairy and then people probably look at me and like, oh, dear God, mm-hmm. avert your eyes. And I'm like, I, I just <laughs> I'm just trying to walk, man. <laughs> Maybe that's what everyone's trying to do. <laughs> but we haven't talked in a while. I, when was the last time I had you on the show? We were we were like right in the middle of pandemic, right? Yeah, I think. I mean, I guess. Um, I mean, it was over a little over a year ago. It was the my last book, the Cyborg Oracle, Death of the Cyborg Oracle, which yeah. came out. It was it came out November 2020, and I think we talked earlier on in 2021. So yeah, about about a year. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. And then what's it like having a book that's been. Uh, your earliest work re-released now um it's a neat feeling i mean especially i mean if you know it's got that little intro by me about this but um i mean it's a book that yeah it was my first book ever ever published in 2015 and um 
you know, I wasn't as, you know, savvy with the, you know, marketplace and marketing and, and PR and um, didn't know as many people also. And, um, and so it's, it's, you know, the, the reason for the reissue is, of course, the, 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 the small press that did it originally is stopping printing books. So um, it, it would not be, you know, it'd be, it'd be totally out of print. And um, I don't know, I, I felt like this is a book that didn't get enough attention back then. And, um, you know, it's, it's, I think it deserves a second life. And so, um, so we, you know, we, we've got some stuff, some people who liked it, you know, John Reed, you know, did the afterward and we got this, you know, blurb from uh, Andre Kodrescu. Um, and so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's got another life and I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. You know, it's this new cover and this, you know, these kind of other ways of dressing it up. But uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's gonna get a, a newer audience now than before. So to answer your question, I'm pretty excited about it. I like, uh, I like seeing this, this book, you know, ride again. Did you, um, I, as you're going through it, did you want to edit some of it and just go, Oh man, I can't edit it. Cause it's got to come out the same as it did. Um, well, I mean, we didn't really have the imperative that it had to be the same. And so, um, when I originally finished the book, I mean, I kind of, I wrote it on like a deadline and it's, you know, 18 chapters. Originally I wanted it to be 23 chapters, you know, for the Barosian, you know, 23 Skidoo, you know, Illuminatus trilogy kind of thing. Um, and so I've, I've thought of kind of the idea of like, of blowing the book up, you know, from this micro epic to one day making it this, this bigger thing. But I feel like the, the kind of charm of it is, is in the size, you know, in this novella form and, uh, and this micro epic term that I use. And so I resisted, you know, I'm, I'm, at this point, I really just kind of did a kind of a deeper line edit and kind of maybe fix some sentences that, you know, were a little awkward. Um, so it's, it's, it's very close to its original form. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I, I couldn't, I would have such a hard time doing that because I can't even look at my old work usually unless, unless I'm like, there's a, there's a situation where I got to do something with yeah. it. And, uh, mm. and I would probably just want to scrap the whole thing. <laughs> I'd be like, no, no, why? It, it, uh, I don't know why. Maybe it's, um, maybe that's a low self-esteem thing where I'm just mm. like uh, <laughs> going. Well, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I hear that from so many writers that like once a book is published, they kind of, <laughs> forget about it. I don't want to talk about it. And yeah, I mean, I rereading this and doing the edits was, um, was exciting in the way of like, I did write the 80% of this in like a month, you know, and I was really like locked in on it. And then after it was out in the world, you know, I would kind of read the same, same parts of readings. And, you know, I did like a small tour for it. But so the, um, the reread I did, you know, for this new edition, uh, reading the whole thing, you know, a couple times again, I was pretty blown away by, by, a lot of the choices I made and sentences that I didn't remember and, and in, in a very pleasing way of like, Ooh, that's, that's nice. You know, like, um, you know, cause I wrote in such a compressed time that, that to, to reread it, I was, I was, you know, um, pleased at these things that I, I kind of did under the gun and, and, you know, and as, as intensely as the writing was. Um, but it's, um, maybe I've just like have not done enough interviews and not had anything like press wise beat a book to death for me. But um, I mean, I don't mind talking about past stuff. And I understand that, you know, writers at larger presses, you know, will do these full press junkets, you know, type things, you know, where, oh, you know right, 10, yeah. 10 interviews in one day and they're just like stock answers and saying the same thing. And, and I imagine that I'm just uh, humble uh, enough to enjoy discussing my own work. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't yeah, like, yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind talking about it at all. Cause I, I have, you know, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, <clears throat> just storytelling, but, 
but actually having to dive back in and go sentence by sentence. I had to do that for the adaptation of the screenplay. And that was just, you know, there was some lovely surprises, but it was also like quite brutal. <laughs> I'm just like, I want to fix this. I want to fix that. And, uh, and even now, as, um, as I was telling you, I'm working on a novel right now. And it's, it's, there's a scene I wrote like in January that I finally reread um, recently. And it made me laugh out loud. I was, it totally like caught me off guard. I, I forgot writing it. I forgot yeah. the punchline. <laughs> so, and I'm like, that's those little moments when you're like, Oh wait, okay. Oh, I might be, I might be okay in this. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that's the best parts of, of writing. And it's, it's, I mean, the, the weird kind of mystically feeling of writing is that, you know, that some of the best stuff, you know, courting the muse, whatever terms we're going to use that like, you know, when they, when they come out of you and they're great and you get it down that like, we don't remember every sentence we ever write, you know, and like right. that's it's that wonderful, like kind of that that shock of revisiting something, going, "Hey, that's nice." I don't remember yeah. writing that. It's wonderful. If someone yeah. just showed it to me, I might not even recognize it necessarily as as my own, you know, some random sentence from the middle of, you know, a book that I wrote years ago, you know, that right. you, you know, I might read it and go, "Wow, that's that's nice." Who wrote that? And someone be like, "Oh, that that's that's you. You, yeah. you wrote that." Like, that's a Rothacker line. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm glad i'm glad i did it then yeah um, it's weird though the the second book i published um and wind will wash away that was one of those experiences where it was actually the first book i wrote i wrote it before this and i wrote it i mean i finished it in 2005 and it took me you know three years it's the first novel i wrote and i i just you know couldn't get it published i mean I, I didn't try hard enough you know i didn't get like 200 rejections but um and so it took getting this book published first that another publisher was interested in then what else do you have? And I'm like, well, I've got this manuscript. And so um, they wanted to see it and they were pretty excited about it. And so um, I kind of went in, you know, then 10 years later, you know, so I'm doing this in 2015, I'm doing this edit. And so editing, you know, the full, it was, you know, 170,000 words, you know, big, big full novel, you know, 420 pages about and over 170,000 words. And that was me editing my young self. And, and I, and I was, the book was pretty set to be published. And so I was just going to be totally brutal, you know, like anything that made me cringe, just gone, you know, and like, I lost about 20 pages of it. And I feel great about that, you know, and, and it's the kind of edits I would not have been able to do as like a 25 year old, 28 year old, you know, like I would have been way too much of a brat, you know, of like, no, this is, I spent three years on this book. This is how it is. It's perfect. No one knows, but me. And that's also maybe why I didn't get it published back then. But uh, I mean, um, to have that experience of like, you know, late thirties, me editing late twenties, me was, was wonderful. I mean, there was some, you know, some full scenes where I'm just reading going, doesn't serve the book. Don't need it. Chop out five pages, you know, like, cause especially writing it in my twenties length was really important to me, you know, like feeling that I wrote a full novel, you know, over uh-huh. 400 pages, you know, 170,000 words. Like that felt like important for me to feel like a real writer for a first book and, you know, and then have this, I've got this book done, I've got this manuscript. Um, but then finally, like, you know, just getting published and then someone wanting to publish that book, I'm like, just want to make it the best it can be. And like, you know, which I would not have been able to do in my twenties. And so slice, 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 you know, and before that, of course I had my wife read it. And so she read it, gave me her notes, which, you know, um, you know, like Vera Nabokov, I'm going to trust her as my first read, you know, and, um, and she, she was like, you know, one, I was way under the influence of, of Faulkner, too many windy, windy sentences. It's a book called In Wind Will Wash Away. So it's form following function. And, and so chopped down a, a bunch of unnecessarily 
kind of gratuitously long sentences. And, and then I chopped out, um, you know, like there was a lot of, uh, the other thing that I was in the, in the wrestling with was Beckett and, and a lot of Beckett's minutia, which is great in like a very small Beckett piece, but the kind of minutia in a full novel of like someone left hand reaches into left pocket, pulls out 75 cents in change made up of, you know, two quarters and like, and then with left hand put like, there was so many mechanics that like, um, seemed important to me at the time when I was writing it. And then to have, you know, my wife read it and be like, we don't need any of this, you know? Yeah, it's just a transaction. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> dude put his hand, dude moved his hand. That's, that's all we right, need, right. you know. We don't need all the details. And, and, you know, and so it had this, you know, maximalist feel that still comes through, but there was a lot of unnecessary maximalism that um, I felt really good and healthy and mature about cutting. Like, just chop, yeah. chop, chop. Yeah, it's almost like you were like a cool uncle to your younger self. <laughs> yeah, I was like, pat me on the head, like, good, good effort, but we yeah, don't need. Yeah, 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 I'll take care of you, kid. I'll take care. Yeah, of you. we'll, we'll yeah. do all right on this one. Yeah, <laughs> we'll it is like it. it is like time traveling though, in a way, huh? Because oh, it's yeah. just like it. It's what we were supposed to write at that time. It's mm-hmm. and it's just like I, you know, the and those things I could never write again in that way. It's 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 a it's almost a time capsule. Mm-hmm. of sorts it's, and, and if i if they gave it to me again i would do it so differently every single time so yeah and i feel like not only is each book a time capsule they're they're in their same they're in their own kind of time and space capsules because i do work on multiple things at once and i just kind of i pick at them as i as i think about them and i move them like there's a novel i've been working on since i started that other one you know since the early 2000s that you know Every once in a while, I see some research or have some ideas and I throw it back into one of the chapters. I got them outlined. I've got, you know, a document for each chapter. And it's a book that eventually I'll, I'll finish, you know, like, yeah. and, and the space I was in when I started, it still kind of governs how I work on it now. Um, and it's, and, and the voice I created almost 20 years ago for it, about 20 years ago, that's still the voice of that. And that's, that's that book. And when I go back to that book, that's the voice that I established back then. And that's the voice I think works and still fits it. And, uh, and I'm sure, I'm sure it would be better now or whenever I do finish it, than it would have been if I finished it in my twenties when I first started the thing. But right. yeah, so I, I work a lot of stuff at once and I feel like each one, even though each book will intentionally have its own different, maybe style or, or voice, they still, you know, adhere to that, you know? And, and even though, I might start a new book right now that's a totally different style of voice than I've ever written in. When I go back to one of those old books that I'm still working on, I will switch back to that voice of that, which I I feel good about. When I was much younger as a writer, I I always wondered like, am I gonna be the kind of writer who has no particular set, that's clearly them voice and everything is different that they work on? Or, or, Or am I gonna be the kind of writer that has one way of talking no matter what they write you know like Hemingway always sounds like Hemingway you know and, right and like you know F Scott Fitzgerald you know they're they're the people who always sound like themselves no matter what they're writing about and then they're the people who change based on whatever it is you know like each book is its own you know its own vo- lexicon sometimes um and I realized that like uh you know I don't necessarily prefer one to the other and not one writer is necessarily better than another um I mean William S. Burroughs you know who I mentioned earlier you know I'm a big fan of and like 
what's amazing about him, like through whatever we want to pick at him and his bio or subject matters or whatever, like that is he point. got away with killing his wife and then the other stuff. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, yes. I mean, not, not to gloss over an awful thing. But I mean, I'm kidding. It was, you, you get, you threw me a softball there. I had to grab yeah. it. Go ahead. <laughs> but the thing about his work is that voice. I mean, it is, yeah. you know, I mean, I mean, you know, a writer could dream to sound that confident, you know, in his work, you know, and it, and it runs through everything, no matter how different the stuff is. And, and I'm less a fan of like the cut up stuff that I am of like cities of red night and that trilogy. But like, I mean, that voice is, you know, you know, so admirable, you know, and, you know, envious, you know, to be able to just sound like that kind of storyteller. And you know, it, uh, yeah, I almost want to do heroin just so I can be that good. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm that close every time. Well, Maybe if I do that. <laughs> well, the thing is, the thing is, there's no, there's no recipe, and there's certainly no recipe yeah. that works for more than one person, even, you know. And that's that becomes like one of the tough things about like you know teaching any aesthetic, you know, any art form, right? I mean, that, yeah. that I can tell you what works for me, and I can show you what works for a whole bunch of other writers in their own different ways, and ultimately, it's got to come down to figuring out what works for you. And that, yeah, and I'm, I'm banging on my students about that a lot because um, I'm like, you know, not only are you finding your voice, you're finding your process and your process is going to be just as unique as your voice. You're going to yeah. hit it at a certain way that no one else can hit it at. And it's, and it's, you know, you can, you can read Stephen King's process. You can read all these people's processes, but most of them will not work for you. And then the process for the project you're on has its own little uh, identity too. You know, it's, it's. Yeah. Kind of like just letting go and going, oh, wait, oh, this is how this has to be handled. I don't, you know, like this, <clears throat> like what I'm working on now has to be written in the morning. I don't like waking up in the morning, <laughs> but it's like I've had to kind of change my life around what I'm working on because it needs a fresh morning perspective on new scenes, yeah. which kind of is new to yeah. me. I'm a, I'm a night writer, so uh -huh. well, that's, uh, that's not like, David Hasselhoff. But... No, no. Night writer. But, but it's <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I still I hear the theme now, the kit theme, the, the, the noise. I mean, I feel like, and that's a wonderful thing that you know. I I hope you are as a proud of yourself as as I am in, in hearing that. Like, if the book, you know, necessitates waking up in the morning, necessitates waking up in the morning, you know, and yeah, and it doesn't mean too that like if you're traveling and you've got to write somewhere else, you you could also write at a different time in a different place. But you know, it's it's a um, if these things, you know, fall in, these patterns fall in, nothing wrong with embracing them, you know? Yeah. Just, and just let it, yeah. Let it, let it do its thing. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't know why this, this is rolling like this. Maybe, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm in lighter moods in the morning and it's a lighter, mm -hmm. it's a, I, I need the lighter touch where in the, by the evening, I'm usually disgusted. Yeah. I don't wake up disgusted. I wake up with hope. <laughs> and, then I, and then progressively throughout the day i get more and more irritable and disgusted yeah <laughs> you wear the, the hope wears off where it melts off in this heat <laughs> the, i mean that's the thing too, like I've, I've always wished i was one of those morning writers you know you hear of like you know again i'm bringing like hemingway but like a, a lot of writers that I've, I've you know i've enjoyed are waking up early tony morrison i always think of you know right in that bluest die you know she is she's waking up at like like four every morning writing until it's time to wake her kids up get her kids up get them dressed ready for school get them to school go to work full-time you know at um random house full-time and like and she's doing that you know that's the dedication for her first novel her first attempt at you know really anything and it's brilliant and 
she's waking up at four and she's waking up at four, not in like some mystical, like, you know, the morning light or something like this is the only time I can do this when I'm not at work or feeding my kids, tucking them in. And so that's the time that she gets, yeah. she can make, she can set aside. And so I utterly respect that for all those reasons, but I think a lot of um, writers who write in the morning talk about like, just how kind of fresh the imagination feels in a way that like you're straight out of like dream state, yeah. you know, and you're just kind of, which is just so creative that in fecking that you just kind of can roll right into just, just kind of moving right back into, you know, what you're, what you're doing without like, as you kind of, like you said, without like all the things that bother us throughout the day, like being stuck on us, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, like, yeah, you just have a really good like sex dream and then you're like, ah, oh, life is great, you know? And then, yeah. and then you have a really bad oh. sex dream and you're like, oh, well that was just a dream. I'll just keep writing. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't want to wake up at that point. <clears throat> right, right. Yeah, why is it when you're having a sex dream? Now, this I'm saying you, but when I say you, I mean me, but you're having a sex dream, and then it's just like, and nothing finishes, and it's never quite resolved, but it was so erotic, but the eroticism just kind of drifted away, and then you're awake, and then you're like, what is, what is it about dreams where we can't just sit there, go all the way, and then relax and cuddle, post-coital no no why i don't know if that happens to you in your sex dreams but in my sex dreams they're deeply fulfilling for about you know however many seconds and then it's taken away from me <laughs> well i think i think we need to instill uh, instate the hashtag hashtag dream to completion <laughs> we'll, we will make that a we'll make that a quest <laughs> do you think the god of dreams would actually back, listen yeah. What's that? Because I mean, an expression like that doesn't just have to be sex either. Dream to completion. Dream to, dream to completion, right? And uh, you got you got something there because like we, we dream a lot of first act stuff, and it kind of never goes into the second act, and then yeah. we don't even get the third act. It's all first yeah. act. It's mm-hmm. not even first act. It's prequel to the first act. Yeah, <laughs> that's um, why. I mean, I've joked about like um, you know it'd be it'd be great to have be successful enough career where I could. Um, make money off of writing starts for people. Like, here's your plot. Here's a handful of characters. Um, even got a title for you. I think it's a great idea. I'm not into it enough to actually want to do it. Here you go. Here's yeah. Grand yours, you know, like, um, but I mean, maybe that's why I could work well in like, a, like maybe like a TV writer's room or something, you know, cause you, you know, I mean, I, I put these down. I mean, I really feel like, you know, no, no item, no, no idea left, you know, no, no item should be thrown out, but I come up with a lot of really good ideas that are, I do believe they're good. They're just not exciting enough for me to want to write or just, I'm not in the mood to want to write. And so, you know, those are the kind of like, you know, these first act type things, like got a great story idea, but I'm not as passionate about it to want to finish it. If anyone else wants it, here, here you go. You know, some, someone else do this. Yeah, that's and 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 then I love it when people go, "Oh, I have an idea for a story," and they're trying to talk to me about, and I'm like, "I know you have no idea. I have hundreds of ideas on notepads, and and I have to go and I have to go. You know what? That one, and it's a crapshoot because it probably is not the one um, that will, you know, it's not the one that's going to advance my career. It just sounded sexy that day, and then you got to stick with it in order. I mean, because if, if you keep going to other idea, other idea, you get nothing done. You have to stick with the one. And build and build and build. And that's just like, that's, and I, that's what I tell writers. I'm like, you got enough ideas. You got way too many ideas. Just pick yep. one, mm-hmm. stick with it. 
and all the yeah. other ideas are going to look really sexy. That one idea you have is going to be like your, it's going to be like your haggard wife who's 300 pounds and has diarrhea all day that you have to help her wipe. And then you'll see like a cute ass in the corner and that's going to be the other idea, but you have to stay wiping the wiping the. <laughs> <laughs> yes. An idea with that requires maintenance. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and in a way, this is the perfect segue into talking about this book because the idea of like the kind of micro epic is that there's a lot of ideas here that I was able to kind of, you know, execute to a certain extent and bring you into a world and like, you know, convince you of this world that I'm offering up. And then five pages later, it's gone. You're in, a, you're then in another world in the next chapter of the book. And so any one of these pieces in here could be so much longer, but I don't necessarily want to work on any of them to make them that much longer. And so that's kind of what goes into this idea of this, this kind of micro epic and this kind of this pastiche across time and space that, um, you know, any, any one of these could be plot lines. And, and what's nice is the kind of like litmus test that people read this book and like, oh, my favorite was this one storyline and I wish there was more of it, you know? And then someone else will be like, well, I like this storyline. I wish there was more of that. And I'm going, that's nice to hear. I'm, you know, the idea is that each one, every piece should be teasing you towards like what they all have to do with each other and how they all connect and how this all is going to end. But, uh, and, and then some of these pieces, you know, were kind of ideas on their own that I realized kind of, I didn't know what to do with or where to go with. And I'm like, well, that, that, that could be part of this universe too. You know, that, that, that could fit in here, you know? And, um, so it comes out of that, that same idea. Let's just kind of, you know, what do we do with all these good ideas? You know, what do we, you know, we don't want to toss them. Um, do I want to write a full, like, you know, 30,000 words on this one idea, a hundred thousand? How about just, you know, you know, 500, how about just, you know, 2000? It, you know like that that could be enough so that's, that's, you, it could be an it. could be an interesting project where if people were if if there was a writer out there that said you know what i really like this um story um mm -hmm. can i write the 300 page version of it and then oh, you yeah. you all these authors do their versions mm -hmm. of it mm -hmm. and expand yeah. on it mm -hmm. based yeah, on like they, yeah the starts you know the the i mean and that i mean what is the cushiest career ever? What being like James Patterson at this point, right? Where he just comes up with an idea and then someone else writes the whole novel for him and both names are on the cover. <laughs> yeah, but, but is that really a satisfying life? Because I like to be at war with the words. I like yeah. to be in the trenches. I like to have those hard days. I like to come out of it. And mm -hmm. if I just gave an outline to someone and put my name on it, I would feel like more like, man, I'll just go back to working in tech. I mean, that's just, that's a, that's a job at that point. It's not, that's not a passion. Yeah. I mean, I don't know enough about him, but I wonder like where that is for him. Like, I mean, he's got I mean, how many over 20, I would imagine novels at least. Right. I mean, he's, mm -hmm. he's got a huge body of work that he did all himself and maybe just burnt, you know, maybe he just, I mean, I don't know what it's like to write that much. That I don't either. So I have, I have no say in it. You're absolutely yeah. right. <laughs> Maybe at a certain point, you're just like, the high is a little gone. You know, the thrill is a right. little gone. Um, right. It's an industry. People want to keep reading Jack Ryan. If there's, I mean, I don't know if Jack Ryan's still the character. You know, I, I have no idea. Is but, he the Jack? He's the Jack Ryan guy. Yeah, he's the Jack <laughs> I, Ryan guy. Like, sort of Jack Ryan is still in his stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, I liked, I liked the. Um, 
there was that one uh, series, the Jack Ryan series, and I didn't even know it was based on the book. This is how ignorant I am. The uh, oh, but it came, I think it came on Amazon. It was with the dude mm-hmm. from the the American version of The Office played yep. uh, Jack Ryan, and I was like, and I really dug it. And I'm like, oh, cool. It's um, yeah, I dug it way too much. I don't know. I I like my candy, but I didn't even know they were books. And then yeah. I found out. Oh, books, really? So. You never saw like Hunt for Red October? Or... Oh, I saw those movies, but I didn't know they were books. I mean, that's a book too. Oh yeah, those are all books. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> I'm so ignorant. <laughs> We've had like what, like six six actors have played Jack Ryan. Oh, so Hunt for Red October is Jack Jack Ryan yeah. character. And that's oh, the okay. one with um, Alec Baldwin, and then you got Harrison Ford plays him in two, and then um, uh, Chris Chris Pine played him mm-hmm. in one just called Jack Ryan, and um, Ben Affleck, some of all fears. And then you've got uh, oh, I mean, it's funny. I've seen all of those, but like well, some of those I saw when I was really young, so I didn't even you know I didn't even know what how to write a movie or even that movies aren't written; they just film people walking around, and then right. it happens. Yeah, just what they're doing, right? <laughs> I mean, I've got I've got little kids, and that's one of those things you you know that you wind up explaining to them. They're like you know like there's that random question where like we're watching The Office, you know, and and like my my three year old's like. Is this real? I'm like, well, like the uh, the epistemological questions that kids ask, you know, like are far more interesting, I think, than maybe they even realize. You know, like, is it real? Well, it is real. (laughs) I mean, like, it exists. (laughs) If I mentioned Michael Scott, you could describe him, you know, but he's a character that is played by this actor, you know, like, like questions like, you know, like dinosaurs, dragons, you know, like. A unicorn is real to a certain extent, you know, if I mention unicorns, you know what I'm talking about, you know, and um, you could draw, you know, if I say unicorn, you would draw one. I'd say, yes, that's a unicorn, you know, Um, dinosaurs are kind of just as real at this point as unicorns, right? I mean, like, yeah, they're not walking around, you know, they drag, and so like those kind of things that like, I I never want to like, you know, throw too much on them. But when, when kids ask those kind of questions, they're just, they're, they're much more fun than I think we expect them to be like what do you mean by being real, you know? And, and back to the Illuminatus trilogy, I remember that from it, reading that as a teenager, and you've got that question of like, is the thought of a unicorn a real thought, you know? And like, well, you know, so that's, that's the beginning of this kind of, you know, epistemological, you know, searching as a kid, you know, well, it's as real a thought as any other thought, you know? Yeah, and, and, I, and, and, I, and I, I feel like what kids do is they bring us back to um, the questions that we, that we had and we sometimes still have, but we can't really go on. You know, it's just like, you know, daddy, am I safe in this world? Actually, you're not, <laughs> you're yeah. like, but you got to go. No, no, you're safe. You got dad with you. And you got, you know, it's, it's, yeah. well, I mean, and that's the thing is like those moments where like, and that, that, that also leads to the question of like, you know, is it okay to, to lie to your kids again? You know, don't want to get into too much of the, you know, problem of, of truth and lot you know but you know this same epistemological kind of thing like we're not even christian but like santa they like santa we do santa you know yeah. and like santa is real to a certain extent you know like right you're not going to go to the north pole and find him and that kind of real but there is right. a reality to santa you know um and so like you know and there's a beauty to that too because that's because that's that's kind of a beautiful mythology and they're sharing it with their friends and their other friends and what did santa get you this year and what did santa get you next year and then at some point they're like oh wait oh santa is 
dad's bank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Okay. But yep. then, but then they're like, then they're excited because they can't wait to experience Santa from their point of view to their kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and as, as they, you know, as they mature mentally and in my five-year-old already at that point, like of asking more targeted questions, I'm not going to lie and I'll answer them, you know, like, you know, yeah. it's, if, you know, he's, you know, he's, you know, we've never been to the North pole, right. You know, as a family. And so the question of whether Santa's going to be there isn't really coming up, but you know, in the narrative, Santa lives at the North pole. We mentioned Santa living at the North pole, you know, and if yeah. he asks like, does Santa really, you know, like, is, does Santa actually have a, you know, could you show it? be like, well, no, it's a story. It's a story that we enjoy sharing in the story of, you know, and um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a hardline agnostic and I, you know, used to teach religion. So my master's is in. And so like, I love a lot of, I mean, all these mytholo- mythological stories, you know, and they're, they're yeah. all stories. And I love reading to them like mythology and like, it's a wonderful story, you know, and these things are, and so, you know, same thing with The Office, like, it's a story, you know, the actors are playing this, these characters in this story and, and stories are wonderful things. They make us feel good. They teach us things. And so, you know, I'm just trying to kind of like I break things down for my students, you know, at, at, you know, at the university, I'm breaking things down for the kids in that same, same kind of way. It's, yeah, you're like, and here, and here's why Michael's not totally three dimensional. And if they, <laughs> kids are like, oh man, don't ask dad, ask mom, yeah. ask mom. He's gonna give us a lecture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they they they're constantly warned of like, I mean, I, I, the only times we watch The Office is really to knock them out. You know, when they're because they'll say, not The Office, it's boring. I was like, that's the point. I don't want you to like it. I want you to fall asleep right now. But um. You know, like they're they're warning for both kids. The three-year-old, five-year-old is never act like Michael. <laughs> oh, watch funny, yeah. it, but never act like Michael. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or, what or, a great what a great job they did on the American version. Because when I heard, I remember being a fan of the Ricky Gervais version. When I heard they were doing an American one, I was just like, "Oh, here it goes again!" Right. And then it's just like they get Steve Corral, and then it's just like, "Oh, they're they did it. Yeah. What? It's great. What?" Mm-hmm. Oh. And that's why that first that first season that's only six episodes isn't very good because it's really trying to like directly copy the British office. And even and, if it took the script, it was like word for word by script. Yeah. And I, that's I didn't like that. So yeah. Well it's the same people. I mean, it still is Ricky Gervais and you know, um, um Merchant, you know, like you know, right. they're it's still them doing this. Um, but like in the second season, it still takes a while for it to, to get its legs and figure out. Like they get rid of some peripheral characters that don't have names in the background, you know, and they're it takes them a while to figure. And it's like also the kind of show, I mean, the problem is that I, I've seen every episode too much. Like it was one of those I put on the background while I was writing my dissertation kind of things, you know, just kind of there to, to drone and, you know, keep me, you know, slightly more awake than what I'm working on. Um, but it's, it's writers who are really good at writing comedy dialogue, but they're not great at arching narrative or arching character development. And so to watch all the episodes and to lay out all the information we have on every character from every episode, it's a, it's a mess, you know? And like, um, and there, there's, there's a real lack of consistency and it kind of takes a while too to kind of figure out what these characters are like in the first few seasons. Um, but I mean, I think that's a lot of, a lot of television it is more like, they don't want you really thinking about that. They're trying to write funny lines right. for the, for the watching experience. They're not counting on someone like me to, to watch all nine seasons multiple times and go, well, the problems here are this. You know, exactly. Like, no, it's no, it, no it's it's for people who are like working really hard during the day and they have a lot, you know, they got a lot of responsibility and they come home and it's just like, 
tell me a story that I can relax to. And those are, then those are the, that's a great gift to give mm-hmm. to people. Um, yeah. They, they don't need to know every single thing in and out of it. It's just like, yeah. just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't need to know that in one episode, it says that we couldn't carry that paper product. And then in another episode, it says we've been carrying it for six years. I mean, come right. on. Exactly. But, but I notice. Yeah. And we're like, who gets this note? Who, <laughs> who yeah. wrote this episode? I got, I got nobody. I, got, I yeah, can't yeah. call anybody. Right. Who got $15,000 to write this episode? Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, that is the stuff that kills me when you see like something that's like huge budget and you know that these actors are making like 20 million a piece and, and then, and, and the script is just crap, you know? Yeah. And, it's, and, and I know that like, I don't know what went on in the process and how many hands are in the kitchen. And sometimes you could tell that from the amount of like producers, the amount of writers, right? but, but like, it just feels like an insult when you see a whole lot of money thrown in something you're like, they could have given me, you know, they could have given me half a million and I, I would make something at least tidier than what, what I'm watching, you know, or, yeah. just, or anyway, it doesn't have to be me, you know, that's, it's not like one of those ego serving things, but to be like, there are writers out there that, you know, you're paying an actor 20 million to be in this film. How about just 1 million to a writer who's going to actually, you know, make this make sense, you know, those are things that I feel really badly duped about. Like when you, you see a, a big blockbuster film and like you, all this work, it goes into it, all this money and like, the stuff that's supposed to hold it together, the actual words, plot, continuity, writing is just crap. You know, it's. Yeah. Just- and you, and you talk to screenwriters and they're like, yeah, they, I was kicked off. The, I was kicked off the film. They bought the film. I was, I was out of that process. And it's just like, it's, it's um, I, I feel like when they keep this, well, maybe because I was, because, because on the one film that I have out, I was kept on through the whole thing. And even in production, yeah. when you keep it on, you're keeping a um, you're keeping the original string like with it, you know, and yeah. and I and I know how to get out of people's ways too. I that's a thing I've I've talked to directors who are like I've had writers try to line read actors on set, and I'm like, are they out of their minds? I mean, it, it's just like the actor didn't sit there and go, oh no, you're using the wrong type of pen. I'll get you a fountain pen. It's just yeah. like you don't get in the way of people, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's the greatest faux pas of a director, right? I mean, like telling an actor how to read lines. There was right. there was some, uh, I mean, uh, um, when you mentioned you mentioned Burroughs earlier, so I'll mention Polanski. There was there was some film that uh, um, who was it? Someone stormed off. I think it was Travolta stormed off of Polanski's set once because Polanski was literally telling him how to read lines, you know, how to, how to say the line. <laughs> and it, it was it was a film that's never happened. It was around the same time you made Frantic. And so I thought originally that, that Travolta was going to be the Harrison Ford role in Frantic, but it was something else that never got made that he was working on. And I, I looked this up after when I, when I mentioned to somebody else who, you know, it was, it was like, well, Travolta was never going to be in Frantic. So I looked it up and it was some other film that, that never got finished. But um, I think the same kind of thing happened with um, Cameron Crowe in Elizabethtown, that it was originally Ashton Kutcher, and uh, instead of Orlando Bloom, and I think it was a, either Kutcher was fired by by Cameron Crowe for just not acting as well as he wanted him to, or it might have been the same issue of him like even telling him how to deliver lines. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let. Yeah. It's you gotta you gotta let the actors do their craft, and they do their craft well. They bring their own choices. Huh? They emote, the good actors just mm-hmm. stay out of their way because they've been doing it for decades. You know. Yeah. Just, let them be. They they have their own arc in their mind, and it's 
and they're usually doing a pretty good job of it, you know? Yeah. That reminds me of uh, all those stories of, uh, of Kubrick on the set of uh, Dr. Strangelove, where he just let the camera roll on Peter Sellers. And I think he just rolled around the floor laughing and just watching. Like, he was just like, you're Peter Sellers. You're playing three roles in this movie. Yeah. Just go to it. Camera's on. Yeah. Be Peter Sellers. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, Peter Sellers is a pretty rare, you know, human being slash actor. You know, I mean, that's. Yeah. Yeah. We don't see a lot of that in this world. True. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of eagerness, eager. Uh, I, I went to a, this terrible um, film festival party. A friend of mine was in from out of town and he was doing press for it. And he's like, you want to come with me? And I'm like, I'll be, I'm just happy to see you, but it's kind of the last place I want to go. <laughs> and, and it was just like, it was the eager eyes of just everyone who was just like, you know, they're like, they're like, and they're coming up to me. They're like, Oh, what do you do? And I'm like, Oh, I'm just a friend of uh, one of the press guys. I'm like, <laughs> just trying to stay low key. Cause everyone wanted something from you. It was just like, um, but like uh, yeah, I don't, I haven't <laughs> been to, I've never been. Is, is that how it is? Yeah. I mean, that's, it's kind of my, my, my snark to any of the writers out here listening. Uh, um, I mean, it's, I've had really great experiences with AWP, but it, but it is that feeling of like, every interaction feels transactional in some way yeah yeah is that what hollywood feels like any like any interaction with another human being is somehow transactional feeling or people are feeling out whether something is transactional i think well and that was the problem with i'm not going to mention the festival but that was the problem with this like festival party was it was just like you could just tell everyone was eager there and then they're like oh wait you live here and they you know and i'm just like oh yeah yeah but i don't do anything i'm just (laughs) but but you don't have but there's a lot of los angeles that is so down to earth like people don't realize there's a lot of people here who just love creativity and just want to hang out and it's and it's a little i mean for me uh, you know it's a little daunting to like meet people that i'm huge fans of and go oh and it kind of takes me a minute to rattle myself out of that and then i got to realize i can't you know i'm not we're not doing anything for each other i just like what they do and that yeah. and just be fred just be friendly and that's it and don't ask them for anything it's you know yeah. that's mm-hmm. it yeah. and if they if they decide to find out you actually have done a thing or two they can go look at it but it's just it's like that thing where it's just like oh yeah here's this and can you you, you know mm-hmm. it's I, I was, it was funny. I, uh, after that horrible film festival party, uh, there's a new restaurant that opened like a block away. I'm in like, I'm in this like new area. That's like becoming very hip. What <laughs> wasn't hip when I got here. So I was like, you know, I'm going to go have a beer and just sit down in there. So I sat down in there and I'm drinking a beer and this uh, woman and her husband started talking to me. And it turns out he won an Oscar this last year. Um, and, and it was just kind of funny. It's like, Oh, Wow. And I knew, yeah. and and I was like, okay, I was aware of that. And and then, cause he was, cause he asked me what I was, um, before I knew who he was, he's just like, um, I was just sitting there with a book and I had my notepad and he's like, are you a writer? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, what are you working on? I was just like, I'm working on a novel. And he's like, oh, okay. And then we started talking and then, uh, and then he, and then it just kind of came up that he was a producer for uh, um, Summer of Soul, you know? And I was just like, oh, yeah. And I was just, and I was like, you guys got really, um, shafted there by will smith slap didn't you you got upstaged he's like yeah i was like you know i, was, I felt really bad for you guys because that's so just awful beyond belief will, will i you know mm-hmm. I'm, we can't swear on here but f will smith i'm on team yeah. f will smith forever i mean that's <laughs> that is just such that's the that he what he did is he took the egomaniacal of 
what these big celebrities are and just kind of showed the world what they are all the time. These mm. who these people are. Yeah. I mean, especially like the, the, the spotlight being taken from summer of soul. Um, and I think even like Chris Rock had that like kind of faux pas moment too with, with even that where he referred to summer of soul as like a, and the, you know, four, four white guys. I think he yeah. made that statement and like one of the, I think that one of the Indian writers or producers of it, you know, had a statement after about, Hey, you know, like, well, it's, 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 you know, yeah, and that it's really screwed up, you know, because it's, it, but it also, it, it's like, when, once you like, once you get like bitch slapped in front of a, <laughs> the world, mm-hmm. I, I, it's just like, there's anger going through you, you know, dude on, if, if people don't understand dude on dude conflicts, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like when dudes on dudes, mm-hmm. it's just like, wait, you know, you just slapped me. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. like the first thing that goes through your brain. But uh, yeah, it really sucks that he presented it that way too. It's just, uh, it's a bummer. That, yeah. But you know what? Some, uh, there's a hope that I hope that the Oscars just all go away and everyone realizes that the Oscars are just kind of a bummer. Why don't we just kill the whole ceremony? I'm up for that. Yeah. I mean, the things I think that people, I mean, there are people who like, of course, the, 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 the tawdriness, the gossipy, even things like this happening, but performances are nice, you know, like, you know, yeah. musical performances at them. I mean, there, there's a pageantry to them that I think people can enjoy. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not, I'm not some intellectual artist who's constantly like downing on like celebrity culture, you know, and, and I, and like, I, I like kind of investigating what this term celebrity means, you know, cause um you know, I see a lot of friends will post social media about like, you know, stop idolizing celebrity, you know, things like that. And like, well, the people that, you know, use, use this term celebrity, but we might just be talking about artists, you know, and like, and right. where's the difference, you know, like, and like, and I, so I did post this on Facebook and I had some really good conversations and friends are bringing up. Wait, wait, wait. Artists. Okay. You posted on Facebook. And then mm-hmm. the second part was you had good conversations. Yeah, yeah I had some actually really. <laughs> you were like Sasquatch. I know, yeah. <laughs> well, because like yes, normally it's it's like you know cesspool. I mean, not quite a Twitter cesspool, but a cesspool. You're like, but but the idea is that these are actually friends of mine, people I do mostly know in real life, and and yeah. so we had a really good dialogue about like I think what makes what what differs from a, an artist to a celebrity or what changes um, overlaps of terms between when an individual is both an artist and a celebrity is is the celebrity aspect is when we care more about their life than the work is usually what the kind of consensus about people like when we're talking more about their life separate from the work than the actual work itself you know or um and 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 of course there are people who are celebrities just to be celebrities like royalty or you know kardashians or things like that and i'm not downing on people enjoying watching those shows or watching royal stuff or things like that but those are kind of celebrities for celebrity's sake you know they're you're they're known because they're known. They're known because they have a wealth or have a awful bloodline pedigree, all the racism of, of royalty that I'm, you know, certainly not a fan of. But um, <clears throat> whereas, you know, that there are, there are artists who maybe some people care more about their life than the art, but doesn't mm-hmm. mean that everyone does in knowing who they are, you know, and, and they're, they're, you know, musicians and actors like and so when when a lot of like the dialogue went on about you know the oscars and the, and the slap and stuff you know i saw all these different takes you know and and, and you know some far hotter than others you know and and a, and, a, and a lot of the takes kind of like you know when people bring up time out kardashians and want to act so superior like who cares what some rich person did or who cares what some celebrity did i'm like 
I think Will Smith is a pretty great actor, and I've seen a lot of things that he's done that's great. I've yeah. enjoyed the comedy of the Chris Rock, and I've I've enjoyed his acting also, especially this last season of Fargo. You know, like like yeah. these are people who I enjoy the artistry of, and I generally don't know that much about their life, and I'm not saying in superior way. Some some people I do know about their lives, but like I don't know about the relationship of Chris Rock and Will Smith and 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 Jada, and whether this is something that's gone on. And I know people have mentioned that you know they've they've had other altercations or whatever. I don't know anything about it, you know. I'm I I know about mostly their art, you know, and that's that's what yeah. I like about them. I mean, um, I mean, true, everyone wants to go back to it, but six degrees of separation was that first film where people are like, Will Smith can can, can act. You know, I remember know? that and it blew me away. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and and I remember him at the time having to talk about how he had to defend having this on screen, you know, same sex kiss and stuff to mm -hmm. like, you know, friends of his and others. And and I know that, you know, a lot goes into being an actor, especially an actor of color, you know, in, in Hollywood. And like, so I, you know, and again, I'm not trying to sound superior. I did not deliver any kind of social media hot take on any of this stuff because one, I don't know enough about it, you know, and, and two, I feel like, you know, most of the takes I saw were from, from people of, of, you know, color that, you know, again, I don't, I'm going to let them voice in on this, you know, and, and, and the beauty is I've got no social professional obligation to produce a hot take on anything going on in the world, you know, no one's calling me and being like, Jordan, tell us your, your thoughts on, you know, Ukraine, you know, and I mean, I, and, and no one's calling me to say, tell us what you feel about the slap, you know, and it's, it's, and I know that there's a position of privilege also in the fact that I've got no obligation to voice in about everything or even some particular things. Um, but there is a really nice feeling to like feel that we don't have to be part of this social media rat race all the time. Like, you know, right. if I don't have all the facts at my disposal. I don't necessarily have to say anything. And me not saying yeah. anything else isn't a sign of consent. I didn't watch the Johnny Depp and, and Amber Heard trial. And so everything I know about is from like headlines or memes that are just going through my doom scrolling feed occasionally. <laughs> and so like, I'm not going to deliver a hot take, you know, like the fact that I know of the text messages that Johnny Depp sent to her, you know, or said to Paul Bettany about wanting to do these awful things. I know that. And that stain is forever on him to me, you know, and like yeah. to most people, you know, like yeah. there's no getting around that, no matter what that jury said, no matter the, the things that she's done to him. I mean, no matter what drugs he was on when he wrote those texts. Hard, well, that's just, I mean, that's just two drug addict people in a very abusive relationship. It's kind of like disgusting to watch, you know, it's uh, there's still that there's still the power dynamic and there's still the patriarchy and there's still Johnny Depp being wealthier and more famous than her. And I mean, and so, <laughs> are you so, team heard? <laughs> as I was saying, I'm, one, I'm team. I don't know enough. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. try. I mean, I, I really, I really don't have enough to to rule in. But I mean, I'm certainly team of the one. I don't know enough, and two, um, we're still stuck in. I mean, there's true. A man can be abused by a woman. Yes, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But like, without me knowing all the facts, I am. If if I were to do research, that still would always be there with me. That there is there is always a power dynamic, and there is sexism and misogyny and patriarchy and, and Hollywood. But and the, the power dynamic at the same time is that us men go will do anything to get vagina. 
There's a lot of things that, you know, especially when we're younger, we'll do anything. And there's mm-hmm. a power to the vagina and people, people tend to, that I just forget, they just forget mm-hmm. all of that, that are, that are in a animal nature is just like, <sighs> hi, and we're trying to calm that down. It's not our fault. It's how we had to do it years ago. So, mm-hmm. so I don't buy into the, all men are, you know, all men have power over women. It's like, no, there's a, there's a, power back and forth well sure yeah i mean i mean that's like i mean that's the same kind of you know arguments people might want to have about white privilege you know like you know that 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 johnny depp will you know he's of course older has a more established career he's a man in hollywood he has advantages at the point that their relationship began that she didn't have you know and right Again, I don't. I don't know that much about the matter. <laughs> I mean, yeah, just don't, don't be a don't be a drug addict and don't get in a bad marriage. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, I, he's also someone that I once really did love, and I kind of gave up on him as a person and as an artist. Um, you know, like a, like you know, around like the the first Pirates movie, and then after, and I really felt like the money that he made, the sick amount of money he started making, went to you know, his head, as I could do to anybody that doesn't oh, excuse yeah. Yeah. the way he, you know, the taxi center, however he treated her or anybody else. But like, I mean, when he's calling Marlon Brando, like I just bought an island and I don't know what to do. And Brando's like, does it have water? Is there any irrigation? Is there plumbing? Do you have to put that all in? Have you thought about any of these things? And Depp's like, I don't know. I just bought an island. I mean, like, you know, I read that story once many, you know, but like the quality of his work and the ridiculousness of his clothing attire and hanging out with yeah. Marilyn Manson. I mean, I mean, for someone who was very important to me when I was younger, you know, and like really cared about, you know, the fact that he was a literary 21 and, Jump and, Street, man. I mean, as, <laughs> as ridiculous as, as cops being in high school was, I did watch that. But then, I loved that show. Yeah. I mean, Ed Wood, Cry Baby, you know, yeah. like Scissor Hands. I mean, there's some really great early, st- I yeah. mean, really great work he did. You know, Benny and yeah. June, what's eating Gilbert Grape? I mean, even Nick of Time. I mean, until the Pirates movie, I think the only real dud was like Astronaut's Wife, you know, and then so back to an earlier story, I will I will name names. I was thinking of the movie The Tourist <laughs> and Johnny Depp's getting paid $20 million. You've got Paul Bettany, you've got Angelina Jolie, and you've got filming on location in Venice. So the amount of money being dropped on that film is, is just disgusting, really, at a certain level. And Johnny Depp that year, he became the first actor ever to make $20 million on two separate films. He got paid $20 million for Alice in Wonderland, $20 million for The Tourist. And The Tourist, that screenplay, that, that, the, the script as it is in watching that film is really poor, you know? And it's, yeah, it's and not it's, even on my radar. It's, yeah, and it's, and it's the kind of thing, too, where, like, you're watching this, you're going, if he's the guy, Johnny Depp's character, that everyone's talking about and thinking about, and he just has, like, a facelift and stuff, I'm going to be very disappointed because this is really obvious, you know, and, and then you get to the mystery of the end. You're like, yeah, yeah, that, that's how it was going the whole time. Like, oh, my God, you just told me the ending. I never saw the movie. Uh, whoa, sorry. <laughs> if, you, if you've given Depp 19 million and given 1 million to an actually trusted a writer to write you a real screenplay, you know, like, yeah. but the thing is, that's the thing. That's the thing in Hollywood, though. It's it's where they're banking on face and they are banking yeah. on Johnny Depp's face. Because yeah, Johnny Depp's funny. face translates in China and translates mm-hmm. in all these regions. And then yeah. Hollywood will re-edit will re, uh, the film to take the gay parts out for China. But then they'll pretend like they're diverse. Hollywood yeah. is just the biggest fraud, fraud ever. So a, a lot of these people are just like <laughs> still fraudulent. I mean, it's still, uh, I'm just going, are you guys crazy? 
crazy, but nobody, nobody just, nobody questions anyone up there. Well, that's, it's all that's a Harvey what... Weinstein reach around, but sometimes it's for our brains. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's, I mean, that's the thing too about like, you get a big enough, you want to open a weekend pop, right? I mean, yeah. by the time anyone's realized that like the emperor has no clothes, everyone's spent the money and seen the film, you know? And so with, you know, good sets, the actors, everyone gets in and watches this thing. And, you know, who cares duration? Who cares if something is a classic? Who cares if something is a shelf life, you know? Right, right. So, I mean, I really have seen very few of, you know, of the depth films in the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, like, got a wedding anniversary coming up and i remember that at one point like on our honeymoon we're like well, we just went out for a movie and we saw um uh, public enemies you know i like michael mann and i think it was probably mm-hmm. one of the last things i, I thought depp was good in you know and mm-hmm. that was i still haven't seen years that. Ago this summer yeah. you know and yeah. i mean it's like, it, was, it was it was michael mann getting more into the handheld that he was doing in that, that really kind of digital feel of like miami vice which i really liked that movie yeah about. Like, yeah a lot of a lot of handheld um even the, the kind of blurriness that happens when you've got like the you know a, a, you know gunfire or something like that with the with the handheld digital going on, um, I think visually he does that well in uh, the movie Blacklight. Even though like for some reason that film is just a dud. Like uh, oh. that's his hacker movie. No, Black Hat. Black Hat. That's his uh, oh. his hacker film. And you've got um, Thor. What Chris Hemsworth playing a hacker in that. <laughs> um, so that's, that's, that's maybe a bit problematic, but um, mm. it's neatly filmed and it has that same kind of like languidness that you said it's really nice and like collateral in Miami Vice, but it's, uh, I've watched it. I fell asleep the first time I watched it in the theater. I tried to watch it again. I fell asleep. I think I've actually seen the full whole movie finally all the way through, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Like it's, so if you ever need to take a nap, you know what to watch. Yeah. We, if you got too much that. thoughts going through your head yeah. and you're like, I need a nap. Yeah, Michael Moore. <laughs> Yeah. Jordan, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it is wonderful talking to you again.
Jordan A. Rothaker on Drinks with Tony. Check out his new book, The Pit and No Other Stories. Next week on the show, we have Andrew Miller. He's the co-author of L.A. Stories, Three Grindhouse Novellas. Thanks for listening. Keep reading. Keep writing. Keep storytelling. It's a way to keep our sanity in insane times. You're listening to 101.9 FM, KPCRLP, Santa Cruz.